Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. Have you ever been lost? Some of us are a little more directionally challenged than others. I want you to think back on the last time that you were genuinely lost. You did not know where you were or how you were going to get out of it. Now, I've been lost quite a bit over the course of my life. I've been lost as a kid. I've been lost as an adult. I've been lost riding in my car. I've been lost riding on my bike. I've been lost in the woods in the nighttime. I've been lost in the woods, in the daytime. Some of you are thinking, maybe you should stay away from the woods. (laughs) I've been lost in the country. I've been lost in the city. I've even been lost in foreign nations where nobody spoke English. I've been lost in a variety of places and in a variety of ways. But all of my experiences of lostness had one thing in common. They were accidental. I missed a turn. I overlooked a step. I got turned around. But there's a whole different kind of lostness. One that doesn't happen to you, but one you choose for you. You see, sometimes we wander away on purpose. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told three stories about lost things. The first was about a lost sheep. And perhaps it nibbled its way off the trail and accidentally got separated from the rest of the pack. The second was about a lost coin. Perhaps it fell out of somebody's pocket and accidentally landed on the floor. And in both cases, they went looking for the lost things. But the third story was different. The third story was about a lost person, a young man whose lostness was not accidental. It was of his own choosing. His story is called The Parable of the Prodigal Son. And over the next four weeks, we are going to dig into this powerful story told by Jesus. And we're going to look at why the young man got lost and how the young man got lost. But most importantly, we're going to look at what he did to come back. Because here's the deal. Whether your lostness is accidental or your lostness is on purpose, I've got some great news for you this morning. Jesus still looks for you. And so for anyone who's ever been lost, are lost, or ache for someone who's lost, this message series is for you. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, make your way over to the New Testament Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. If not, we'll display the verses up on the screen. Jesus was the master storyteller. And he would tell these stories called parables, which were basically illustrations. And sometimes he used nature. Sometimes he used everyday objects. Most of the time, his illustration was about people. In fact, some experts believe that Jesus would actually take stories from local news, the headlines, and turn that into a parable. That may have been the case with the parable of the prodigal son. So let's dig in. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, it says, There was a man who had two sons. So Jesus begins by introducing us to the characters. There's three of them, a father, a younger son, and an older son. 
We'll get into all of their stories throughout this message series, starting today with the younger son. Verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. Now, any parent in the room might have just sat up a little bit when they heard the tone this young man used. Give me my share. I'm sorry, was there a question in there somewhere? Because all I heard was a demand. Father, give me what's owed to me. Uh, Some of you are even now are wincing at the thought of what your parent might have done to you if you ever said to them, give me my money. Your mama's shoe would have been up the back of your head faster than you could even say money, right? Uh, This this is an interesting statement because in ancient Jewish culture, the law required fathers to give an inheritance to their sons. The oldest son would receive a double portion. So in this case, he would receive two-thirds of the estate. The younger son would have received the remaining one-third. But it was common practice that this inheritance would be granted after the father passes away. But while he was still living, he was under zero obligation to give anything to anyone. So when this younger son said, I want my share now, this was a most unusual request. It was equivalent to saying, I wish you were dead. How would you feel if your kid came up to, came up to you and said, I want my money, my portion of what you spent your life working hard for, I want it and I want it now. How would you respond? I know how I would. Oh, let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to get your little booty out into the field and lift a finger for once, you ungrateful freeloader. Okay? That's how I would have responded. That's not how the father in Jesus' story responded. This is what he did. Verse 12 continues. He divided his property between them. Astonishingly, the father agreed to the younger son's demands. I mean, you don't have to be a parent to to be confused about why he would do this. I mean, there's no shortage of people listening to this message right now who would have interrogated the boy before forking over any cash. Okay, what are you going to do with the money? You're going to spend it? You're going to invest it? You're going to make it work for you? And where are you going to go? Where are you going to live? Who are you going to live with? Do I know these people? Are they going to live for free? Or are they going to have to pay rent? I mean, we would have hit him with 100 questions. The father asked zero questions. Gave him his cut of the pie which in those days would have been immovable assets, like maybe livestock. You know, by today's standards, that might be, you know, well, I can't give you the house because I'm still living in it, but uh, the car, furniture, jewelry, family heirlooms, the big screen TV, something that you can cash out. So what did the young man do with his portion of his father's estate? Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had And took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his his property in reckless living. What did the young man do? He went to the pawn shop, hocked it all off, got a fistful of cash, and headed to Vegas. Went straight down the road of indulgence. And once he started the party... He also ran into a cold, hard reality. Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. 
Guess what? Sometimes the party ends. The lights come back on, the friends disappear, and there's no money left. And it just so happened that this young man spent his last dollar that coincided with a famine that forced everybody to tighten their belts. Welcome to the real world, kiddo. Verse 15. And he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. So driven by hunger and desperation, this young man went looking for any work he could find. And someone eventually just had mercy on him and said, okay, you can go out in the hot sun and slop around with the pigs. This was a disgusting job. Maybe the equivalent by today's standards or that you're so desperate for work that all you could find would be cleaning porta johns. That was the, the level of desperation this young man found himself in. But what's interesting is that Jews we're very wary of mixing with non-Jews or Gentiles. And that phrase used in the scripture that he, that he sold himself out, or the, the exact words were he, he hired himself out to one of the citizens, that phrase actually means he became totally dependent upon another person, a foreign citizen, a Gentile, the kind of person he was raised his whole life to avoid. And on top of this, he was working amongst pigs. In Jewish culture, pigs were considered unclean. They were to avoid them at all costs. You don't eat them, you don't touch them, you certainly don't work around them. So this young man was totally dependent upon, upon someone he was taught his whole life to avoid, working amongst animals he was taught his whole life to avoid. He completely debased himself and his ethnic heritage. Verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. You know what they call the food they give to pigs? Slop. Slop is a, is a mixture of all the food no one else wants to eat. Moldy bread, fruit rinds, wet leftovers. You gotta be in some kind of place of desperation to watch a nasty pig grunt and snort its face in a pile of slop and think, oh, that looks so good. If only I could eat some of that slop. Friends, this is the epitome of lostness. Hungry, alone, and broke was squandering all the money on wild living really worth it? I once heard somebody say, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And that was certainly the case with this young man in the story Jesus told. Now, it could be easy for us to hear this parable and dismiss this as a, a, a foolish young guy who, who got what he deserved. But here's what's so critical to understand about the parables of Jesus. They were never meant to be a window, a window that we just peer through and critique someone else like we're some kind of celebrity judge on a reality show. No, parables were never meant to be a window. They were meant to be a mirror a mirror to hold up in front of you and in front of me. Not that we would see some dumb rich kid, but that we would see ourselves. 
Because the reality is a lot of us are like the prodigal son. We've chosen to wander away from God. We set out on a road of indulgence and we find ourselves emptier now than when the journey ever began. And what drives this kind of behavior is a set of lies that we don't even realize we believe. You see, we have a powerful adversary in Satan who is both cunning and convincing. Listen to how Jesus described the devil in John chapter 8. He said, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is always running his mouth and spreading his poison. But he does it in such a subtle way that we don't even realize we're believing the lies until we look up and discover that we're lost. And so with our remaining time, I want to shed the light of God's word on this and expose some of these lies and hopefully in the process prevent someone from wandering any further. So if you're taking notes, here's the first lie that gets us lost. Number one, it is the lie of escape. The person who believes this lie says, I have to leave. This place is stifling. I'm never going to be happy here. True happiness is found somewhere out there. Let's go back to Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. This younger son said, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. I wonder what far country he would have gone to. Maybe he went to Italy, to the city of Rome, the cultural epicenter of the world. There was no shortage of sexual vices in Rome. Men with women, men with men, women with women. Rome had it all. Maybe he didn't go to Italy. Maybe he went to Turkey, to the city of Ephesus, where there was a variety of Mediterranean pleasures. Maybe he didn't go to Turkey. Maybe he went to Greece, to the city of Corinth, where there was more prostitutes than what you'd find in the red light district of Amsterdam. What far country would he have gone off to? What is the far country you dream of running off to? See, the father in the parable that Jesus told is actually our heavenly father, God himself. And this is the lie of escape that what you're looking for can never be found with the Father. You have to go to the far country to find it. See, the lie of escape presupposes that the problem is in one solution and the solution is in another location. The problem is in one location, the solution is in another. And so in the, state, in the, in the, in the parable of the prodigal son, the problem was the father's house. The solution was the far country. I need to go there to find true freedom. I need to go there to find true happiness. This is the exact same tactic that the enemy used at the very beginning. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free. You are free. 
You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God said, here you have your free run of any tree except one. That would be like somebody unfurling a map of the globe in front of you and saying, I'm going to pick up the tab on an all-expenses-paid vacation to anywhere you want to go in the world. All I ask is that you don't go to this spot right here. That's essentially what God was telling Adam and Eve. You have every single tree that you could choose from. There's only one restriction, and that's all the enemy needed to pounce. Genesis 3, verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you hear the lies? God is hiding something from you. The reason he doesn't want you to choose from that tree is because that's the best one. He wants it all for himself. Come on, be your own person. Make your own choice. Get out from under the oppressive rules of this God. And Eve faced the same temptation you and I face all the time. And that is this. Sometimes the far country isn't far away. Sometimes the far country is right in front of your face. Isn't it incredible how fast the enemy can convince us to see our blessings as burdens? This faithful spouse of mine who's godly and has been with me all these years, yeah, they're holding me back. I need something new somewhere out there. This great home my godly parents have made for me is too restrictive. I got to get out of here. My purity, my opportunity, my reputation pales in comparison to whatever's off in the far country. That is the lie of escape. And if that's the lie, here's the truth to counter it that your father desires to meet every one of your needs. He wants you to feel the comfort and love of his presence. Through Jesus, God wants to make a home in you. Listen to these powerful words of King David in the Old Testament, Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that in the presence of God, the deepest longings of your soul can be satisfied? Do you really believe that God holds for you greater pleasures than whatever you're going to find off in the far country? You see, this kind of promise is what God is making. And this kind of presence isn't found through escape. It's found through faith. Friend, listen. The far country never delivers on its promise. Because here's why. What it is that we're looking for is something to fill the emptiness of our souls. And until that's dealt with, it doesn't matter how far you run. 
You could run to a new job. You could run to a new spouse. You could run to a new zip code with better weather and lower taxes and nicer neighborhoods. You could run all you want, but you can't run from you. No matter where you go, you're still there. And it's not until we finally realize that the only one who can give me the thing I'm looking for is the Father. You don't have to leave his presence. Now, to be clear, there are times in life where escape is the right response. For example, maybe you're in an abusive relationship or your home is a place where your safety and well-being is threatened. In that case, escape is the right response. It's also worth noting that it's healthy for young people to pursue independence. Can't live with parents forever. At some point, you got to get out and contribute to society and forge your own path. Those two examples were not present in the parable of the prodigal son. The father's house was not filled with abuse. It was filled with abundance. This young man was not walking down the healthy road of independence. He was walking down the unhealthy road of indulgence. He was trying to escape. He was trying to find something that only the Father could fill. And friend, I'm standing before you today to tell you, you're going to spend your whole life searching for it, thinking you're experiencing freedom, and that's actually the worst kind of enslavement. The Father has exactly what you need. Stop running. Come home. Don't buy the lie. The first lie is the lie of escape. I need to leave. Here's the second lie. It's the lie of hurry. The person who believes this lie says, I have to have it right now. I need it now. This is the lie of instant gratification. This is the lie of buy now, pay later. I'll figure out the consequences somewhere else down the road. That was certainly the case in the parable of the prodigal son. Let's go back to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 15, verse 12. Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey. How long did it take the son, once he had a fistful of cash to leave the house, Not many days. He took off. There was no plan. There was no consideration for the consequences. There was no asking anyone for advice. And it says here that he gathered all he had, meaning he didn't just grab a travel bag and said to his family, hey, I'll be back in a couple of days. This was a full-on relocation out the door in a couple of days. I mean, this is a massive life choice. A young man with lots of money and zero accountability, that is a recipe for disaster. And what compounded this problem is how fast he made the decision. Not many days, because he wanted it now. This is the lie of hurry. The enemy wants you to make impulsive, foolish decisions that are going to hurt you. This is not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches an entirely different message. The Bible teaches that there is often 
reward in the waiting. The lie of hurry says, buy now, pay later. The truth of God's word says, pause now, get paid later. Experience the reward of wise decisions. Let's look to the Proverbs and see what they say. This is Proverbs 14, 16. It says, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. That sounds a whole lot like the prodigal son, doesn't it? That word cautious, it literally means to put something down, to not solve it right now. The word of God preaches that there is wisdom that comes in delay, wisdom that comes in caution, wisdom that comes by pressing pause. Proverbs 19.2, enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. And this is exactly what the enemy wants. Make an impulsive decision that you're going to have to pay for. And the reality is a lot of us have done that very thing. We wanted something right now. We said, I'll, I'll figure out how to pay for it later. And if we could go back in time, we never would have made the decision because we're still paying for it. And this is not what God desires. God wants us to exercise wisdom. He wants us to just press pause, to give ourselves enough time to get some clarity, to hear from God, to pray about it, to, to, to make the right choice. Let me ask you this. When, when your phone buzzes and you pick it up and there's a text message there that makes you furious, how do you act? The lie of hurry says, respond right now in your heightened emotional state. Let that person know exactly how you feel. But the truth of Scripture says, you don't have to respond right now. Put the phone down. Before you start rage-tapping a response that you are likely going to regret, what if you just put the phone down, gave yourself a moment to pause? Maybe you decide that you're not even going to respond at all. How many of you struggle with online shopping? Sitting there in front of the screen and you see it, you have to have it. I mean, the, the lie of hurry is something marketers have used forever. They create urgency with a sale, right? You know, act fast. The sale ends at midnight. There's only five left in stock. And you're sitting there thinking, okay, I didn't know I needed a $700 pair of socks, but now that I know that they actually cost $1,000, and if I buy them right now, actually I'm saving $300, really, is when you, when you look at it, you think about it, right? How many of you struggle in that space? and you're standing right there, the lie of hurry is saying, do it, buy it. What if instead of clicking purchase now, you click add to cart, and then go for a walk? <laughs> and in 15 minutes, do you even still want the thing? I mean, friends, listen, before you sign your name at the bottom of the paper, before you pay up front, before you get in the car or answer that message or call that person back, can we just press pause? Buy yourself enough time to hear from God, to respond to the alarm that may be going off in your soul saying, no, 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 you don't have to do this right now. There's another option. Slow down 
and make a wise choice you're not gonna have to pay for later. Don't buy the lie. The first lie is the lie of escape. I have to leave. The second lie, the lie of hurry. I need it now. Here's the third lie, the lie of control. The person who believes this lie, what they say is, I got it handled. I got this. Relax. The lie of control makes us actually believe that we can handle whatever outcome comes our way. Let's go back to the parable of the prodigal son. This is Luke chapter 15, verse 13. It says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. He made a lot of choices. He chose to leave the father. He chose to go to a far country. He chose how he wanted to spend his money. He got to make all those choices, but then a decision came that was not of his choosing. Verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Didn't see that one coming. He didn't plan for any contingencies. He wasn't ready for an emergency. He had no plan B. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to to feed pigs. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, no one gave him anything. This young man experienced a first in his life. What it meant to be in need. No one there to pick up the bill. No one there to save him from himself. Suddenly, the lie of control got exposed because there's certain things that we just didn't plan on. The reality is that God will often allow disruptions in our life that we didn't choose. Now, there's a whole lot of things we do choose, and we bring things into our lives that that we regret, but then there's things that just happen. A death in the family, a bad breakup, an injury, your car breaks down, a global pandemic that flips everybody upside down. And I believe that God often uses these disruptions to wake us up and cause us to do a self-assessment to reroute our steps into going in the path he desires for us to go on. Listen to this proverb, Proverb 19, 21. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. It's good for us to make a plan, but what happens when something disrupts that plan. You know, when I was a college kid, my dream job was to be a sports reporter on ESPN. And that's where I got my undergraduate degree in television broadcasting. And the summer before my senior year of college, I worked at a local television station covering sports. And at first, I started off doing menial tasks, but eventually I began to work my way up in the organization. And then one day, the sports reporter was out sick, and they asked me to cover him live on the air. And this was unheard of for somebody as far down the totem pole as me. But I got my opportunity, and I took advantage of it, and it went well. And before long, more opportunities started coming my way. And I became an integral part of the team. There was just one problem. I had to go back to college for my senior year. 
And so what I did was every Friday night, I'd get in my car and drive two hours from my college to the station, and I'd do a, a Friday night football show, and I'd get back in my car after midnight and drive back to college. And this all resulted in a promise of having a job at this TV station as soon as I graduated. This was a huge weight off my shoulders. I got to cruise through my senior year. I watched as my peers wrestled through what they were gonna do after they graduated. Some will have to move back home. Some will have to pick up odd jobs just to pay the bills. Not me. I got it all planned out. I'll work at this station for a couple of years and then a bigger station and I'll eventually get my dream job. I had it all under control. And then a couple of weeks before graduation, I got a phone call. It was the sports reporter at this television station. He said, I've got some bad news for you. Apparently, there was fraud happening behind the scenes, and the television station lost a massive amount of money, forcing them to shut down the entire news division. There goes my job. In one phone call, my entire future shifted. For the next couple of years, I languished trying to, to find jobs in the field. And as it turned out, I never worked at a television station ever again. God disrupted my plans. And I didn't even realize what was happening. And the reality is this. You and I, we don't have to wait for a bomb to drop in our lives that explodes everything for us to realize we are not in control. Instead, we ought to live life with open hands and open plans. We ought to declare to God, I want to do what you want me to do. So I'm, so I'm setting the plan. I'm, I'm, I'm heading down this plan, but if this is not where you want me to go, will you wake me up, God? so that I don't keep wandering. And that way, when a disruption comes, you don't have to shake your fist at God and say, what are you doing? Do you even care about me? Instead, you could realize what he's doing is reshaping my plans to fit his purposes. <clears throat> I bet a lot of us relate with the prodigal son. A lot of us relate with this parable. Because we know what it feels like to wander. We know what it feels like to, to make poor choices, to say, I, I got this. I, I'm going to go do my own thing. And then you find yourself in a desperate place, in a pigsty, in a far country that never delivered on its promise. Friends, here's the deal. Every single one of us has to arrive at that place where we say, I can't get myself out of this one. I can't save myself. And that's the moment that you call on God and realize that he's the one we've been looking for the whole time. The Father loves you and I so much that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died on a cross to absorb the penalty of our bad choices. And when we finally get to that place that says, I can't save myself. I admit I got myself into this. But Jesus, I'm, I'm calling on you. I believe that you can save me. Not just get me out of the situation, but actually save me from me. And you commit to saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do things your way, God. 
If you've never intentionally invited Jesus into your life like this, friends, there's no time like the present. I'm not talking about believing in the big man upstairs. I'm talking about inviting Jesus to be the king over your life, to be your personal Lord and Savior through faith. And if today's the day you want to invite him in, you want to surrender your life, I want to give you a simple prayer that you could pray. I'll give you the words to say, but they're just meaningless words unless you believe them in faith. And so now's the time. If you want to invite Christ into your life, I want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and just consider your heart before God. And if you're ready to surrender, I want you to pray these words in the silence of your heart. Jesus, today I surrender. Jesus, today I surrender. I can't save myself, but I believe you can. I confess my sins to you. I believe you died on a cross for me, and I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you restore me. I ask that you change me so that I could get off that old road and get on the road that leads to you. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and genuinely meant it, I want to encourage you to let somebody know. Here's one way to do so. On your programs, there's a little perforated card. You could just tear that off and fill that out. And there's a little, bottom, this little box at the bottom that says, I said yes, I pray to receive Christ. In a moment, our usher is going to come down the aisle to collect today's offering. Just drop that card right inside the bag, and one of our staff people will get in touch with you and help you understand what it means to begin a new life with Christ. Maybe you've already done that, but you're just not going anywhere. You want to get moving. You want to take your next step. Here's how. Grab your phone and text the word NEXT to 909-281-7797. This is our sunrise number, and one of our staff people will get that and exchange a few messages with you. We're not going to spam you. We just want to help you get going with your next step. Maybe you want to join a small group. Maybe you want to get baptized. Maybe you just need someone to talk to. You've got questions or you need some assistance. Text NEXT to 909-281-7797. Or for those of us live in the room, out in the lobby is a table with a sign above it that says NEXT STEPS, and you could have a face-to-face conversation with somebody today about what that might look like. The son in this parable squandered all his money on reckless living. And he found himself at the epitome of lostness, alone, hungry, and broke, standing in a pigsty. Friends, when you hit rock bottom, there's only one direction left to go, and that's back up. This was the start of his comeback. That's where we're going to pick things up next week. So if you know somebody who needs to be reminded that no one is too far that God can't reach them, invite them to come with you to church next Sunday to hear this message. Until then, let's not buy the lie. Don't buy the lie of escape. I have to leave. Just know that everything you need can be found in the Father. Don't buy the lie of hurry. There is reward in the waiting. And don't buy the lie of control. But surrender your plans to Him. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. But it doesn't have 
to be like this. You don't need to run off to the far country. Come home. The Father is waiting. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, I confess on behalf of myself and all who are here in this room that we have wandered, we have made poor choices, we have strayed, but thanks be to God that you're not the kind of God who just points a finger at us and says, I told you so, but you're the kind of God who welcomes us back home. Lord, for anyone in here who's running, I pray that today would be the day they stop running and surrender to you. Lord, as we get ready to worship you through the giving of our financial gifts, our tithes, our offerings, Father, I pray that this act of worship would be pleasing to you and another reminder that you will take care of our every need when we put you first. Father, take these gifts and multiply them across the city and this world so that we could see your name lifted high. Jesus, we thank you for your great love, your sacrifice, the fact that you would die for us, the fact that you would come looking for us because we all need help and we all need you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And if you believe it in your heart, then let the church say amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.